This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. In 2013, a biochemist in Oregon named Arthur Robinson gave a speech about a topic he's very passionate about. Your urine is a total fingerprint of you, a total fingerprint of your genetic character, but it's also a fingerprint of your health. The idea that urine holds the secret to human health. I'm now in the business of asking people for urine samples. And interestingly, I'm finding out that people don't have a very high opinion of urine. Robinson says his research on urine isn't outside the scientific mainstream. But some of his other views are, such as how climate change is unrelated to CO2 emissions and that low-level nuclear radiation is less harmful than most people believe. But in the early 2000s, Robinson was able to expand his urine research thanks to the financial backing of a New York-based hedge fund magnate. That man was Bob Mercer. Mercer, by this point, was the co-CEO of Renaissance Technologies, the most successful hedge fund in the world. He gave Robinson something like $1.4 million for freezers to store over 10,000 samples of urine. Mercer's investment in Robinson was, for him, pretty low stakes. But soon, Mercer became deeply involved in far more consequential projects. His millions of dollars in donations helped to change the face of American politics. This is our second episode in a two-part series about Renaissance technologies and the battle inside the firm over wealth, power, and the rise of Donald Trump. Today on the show, how Bob Mercer supported conservative and far-right causes with the fortune he made at Renaissance, and how his political ideology threatened to tear the hedge fund apart. Welcome to The Journal. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, November 26th. Until 2010, people like Bob Mercer and his colleagues at Renaissance were building wealth, but weren't having much of an impact beyond the firm. This is Wall Street Journal reporter Greg Zuckerman. At that point, there was a major case in front of the Supreme Court. They called the Citizens United. Uh, a deeply divided Supreme Court uh, has basically made a landmark decision regarding uh, campaign finance. A radical change in the way political campaigns are funded. The Supreme Court tosses out limits on corporate spending on campaigns. How this changes- Citizens United opened a path for wealthy individuals to pump huge amounts of money into politics. And the floodgates were open. And that gave people like Bob Mercer huge opportunities to have impact on society and to fund different efforts. And he took that advantage. And he, from there on, became much more involved with all kinds of things. By this point, Bob Mercer was in his early 60s, running Renaissance and strategizing with his daughter, Rebecca, who was deeply interested in politics. The two were starting to distribute their family fortune. 
And in 2011, Mercer anonymously donated to a group that ran attack ads against a Muslim community center that had plans for a building near the World Trade Center. Imam wants to build a $100 million mosque near Ground Zero. Call Andrew Cuomo and tell him a Ground Zero mosque is wrong. The efforts of this group, backed by Mercer's investment, among others, worked to some extent. There was a public outcry, and the community center was scaled back to a museum. And one person who Mercer met around 2011 had a dramatic impact on how the family spent their money. A former investment banker at Goldman Sachs, a man who shared many of Mercer's political beliefs, Steve Bannon. They each needed each other. Mercer needed someone to give him guidance. He's a quiet, shy scientist who wanted to change society, but didn't really know how. And Bannon is a political operative who needed a backer with deep pockets. Later that year, Bannon brokered a deal for the Mercer family to buy nearly 50% of Breitbart News. So Mercer was able to help supercharge Breitbart, the sort of far-right conservative publication. Yeah, that's exactly right. So no one really had heard of them at that point. But together with Bannon, they were able to put Breitbart on the map as the 2016 election approached. During the 2016 Republican primary, the Mercers hadn't initially backed Donald Trump. But when Ted Cruz, their preferred candidate, dropped out, they were in the market for someone new. And that's when Rebecca Mercer got a suggestion from another daughter of a powerful man. Ivanka Trump invited Rebecca Mercer over to Trump Tower, and they bonded. And soon, Bob Mercer and Rebecca Mercer were shifting their support, financial support and other support, to the Trump campaign. And frankly, it marked a real turning point. At the time, the Trump campaign was down for the counts. His polls were looking bad. His campaign just didn't look promising. Rebecca went to Trump directly and said, your campaign is floundering. I have the two people to help you. Those two people were Steve Bannon and another Mercer political advisor named Kellyanne Conway. Bannon and Conway were in the Mercer sphere. They were close to the Mercers. The Mercers knew them well. And Rebecca Mercer made the argument to Donald Trump, you can't win this election without Steve Bannon and without Kellyanne Conway. And soon, Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway were at the helm of the Trump campaign. Steve Bannon went on to be Trump's chief political strategist. He left the White House in the summer of 2017. Kellyanne Conway is still a counselor to the president. Donald Trump wins the election in a large part due to the work of Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway. And Donald Trump acknowledged that those two individuals were in the campaign due to Bob Mercer and Rebecca Mercer. So in a lot of ways, Bob Mercer helped create this election victory for Donald Trump. And Trump acknowledged that. So Bob Mercer held his annual costume party out in his mansion in Long Island late in 2016. And Donald Trump got in a car and drove all the way out there, the tip of Long Island, to pay homage to Bob Mercer. He didn't wear a costume, but there was acknowledgement there, and he said as much at the party that he would not have won the presidential election without Bob Mercer. Bob Mercer was one of the biggest donors to Republican campaigns in 2016. He and his wife spent nearly $24 million helping put Trump in the White House. Inside Renaissance Technologies, employees were watching one of their CEOs, Mercer, 
get deeply involved with these hot-button political causes. Breitbart during this time was becoming associated with white nationalists. Mercer had also backed Milo Yiannopoulos, a Breitbart contributor and right-wing firebrand who, among other controversial opinions, has called feminism a cancer. Yiannopoulos has since resigned from Breitbart. But at the time, many of Mercer's colleagues told Greg they knew Mercer was associated with this and felt conflicted about what they saw. Internally, uh, people were torn. Uh, On the one hand, they respected their colleague, Bob Mercer, and there are all kinds of political sensibilities at the firm, conservative left, centrist. But people started getting really uncomfortable. And they suddenly realized they helped, they themselves helped, create Bob Mercer's wealth. So the better the firm did, the more Bob Mercer had to spend on political causes and efforts. And they, in some ways, felt guilty because they were helping to make Bob Mercer a billionaire. And he, in turn, was taking that money and doing things that they didn't agree with uh, politically and otherwise. In particular, there's one individual within the firm named David Magerman, who, as the election unrolled in 2016, he became more and more upset. David Magerman was hired at Renaissance in part thanks to Bob Mercer's recommendation. And as we described in our last episode, the two men were close. Magerman lived at Mercer's house for a while. They'd also worked together to solve that bug in Renaissance's stock trading code, the computer code that transformed the firm into a money-making machine in the 90s. As Magerman explained to Greg, his own politics were centrist. He's a registered Democrat, but he'd voted for both Republicans and Democrats in the past. But he believed that Trump's rhetoric was dangerous, particularly when it came to immigration, public education, and abortion access. He didn't know what to do. Um, What do you do when your colleague, and at that point, the co-CEO of the company, does something you find really detestable? Soon enough, David Magerman decided what to do. He decided to go public. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at C3.ai. Welcome back. After Trump won in 2016, David Magerman started to air his grievances against Bob Mercer to colleagues inside Renaissance. He started reacting, started acting out, as it were. How did Bob Mercer feel about the fact that Magerman was going around and complaining about him? Well, Bob Mercer started hearing about the complaints of David Magerman. And it seems to me that Mercer wasn't thrilled with it. He called up 
David Magerman at one point. So Magerman's in his den and outside Philadelphia, and he picks up the phone, and the head of his company, Bob Mercer, says, I hear you're going around saying I'm a white supremacist. That's ridiculous. So Magerman's kind of caught off guard, you know. Can't even imagine getting a call like that from your boss. Yeah, exactly. It was a disturbing phone call. But then Magerman's pretty self-confident in his own way, and he said, well, you know, Bob, that's kind of what my impression is of you. And frankly, Mercer didn't mind the back and forth so much, but Magerman was left just disturbed and unsettled by the conversation. Here he is, again, he accused his boss of really being borderline racist, and the boss kind of shook it off to some extent, and Magerman just wanted to do something. After that phone call, Magerman decided he needed to do something more extreme. He felt like the country was going in the wrong direction, and he himself was partly responsible because David Magerman had helped solve the market for the firm, and Bob Mercer was using those billions to do things that David Magerman found detestable. So Magerman just was in his den, stewing, saying, I, I, I got to do something. I got to do something to stop my boss. I got to stop Mercer from changing this country. The conflict that was brewing between Magerman and Mercer inside the firm wasn't known to the public. That's how it worked at Renaissance. Its founder, Jim Simons, was incredibly protective of any information getting out, whether it was trade secrets or internal tension. Renaissance had always been known for being highly secretive. But Greg, who's been writing about hedge funds for years, started to hear whispers about this conflict. So he sent Magerman an email asking if he'd talk about what was going on with Bob Mercer. And to Greg's surprise, Magerman wrote back. His email said, enough is enough. I'm ready to take action. So we emailed a little bit, and then I drove out to his home. It's in suburban Philadelphia. It was shocking because the guy just unloaded. It didn't take much to get him going. What did he tell you? So he basically told me, all the various things and the accusations he had for what Bob Mercer was doing to the country. And, you know, he basically said he's using his money to help implement a worldview that I don't agree with. It's not just supporting Trump, but things like shrinking government to the size of a pinhead. He was going on and on. And David Merrigan was comfortable opening up about his own boss to a Wall Street Journal reporter. And I was typing furiously, just trying to keep up with him. How does Mercer and Magerman and everybody respond to this article airing these grievances? So Renaissance, broadly, and Bob Mercer and Jim Simons could not have been more upset. Even people that agreed with David Magerman, and there were many within the firm, they did not want him airing their dirty laundry publicly. Who does that? Mm -hmm. uh, especially at the most secretive firm in the world or on Wall Street, when they're told not to talk to reporters, he did, and it was about how his boss was off the rails. So what happens to David Magerman? So David Magerman, somewhat naively, thought that speaking out about his uh, boss, the CEO of the company, wouldn't really impact him. One can wonder why a super smart guy like that would uh, come to that conclusion. But in his view, over time, the firm hardly ever fired someone, partly because they didn't want their secrets getting out. But the morning my story came out in the Wall Street Journal, Magerman got a phone call from Renaissance, and a representative told him that he's being suspended without pay and he couldn't have any contact with his colleagues. And he was shocked. What did Magerman think would happen? What was he hoping to achieve? 
he thought he would have an impact. He thought perhaps his colleagues and especially Jim Simons would rein in Bob Mercer, would get him to stop funding not just Trump, but some of these efforts to change the country and move it in a direction where David Magerman was uncomfortable. And I think partly he just needed to get it out of his system. He was frustrated. He was angry. He was concerned about the direction of the nation and how he had contributed to it. So part of it wasn't really rational as much as emotional. He wanted to do something. Once the news sank in that he'd been suspended from work, Magerman tried to take a step back from the company, but he couldn't fully let go. Magerman spent months trying to work his way back into the good graces of the higher-ups at Renaissance. And a few months after his suspension, he reached a tentative agreement to return to his old job. Until one night when his plans blew up in his face. On a Thursday night in April of 2017, Magerman decided to attend a charity benefit held by Renaissance founder Jim Simons. It was a poker tournament at the St. Regis Hotel in Manhattan. It was full of hedge fund managers betting big and showing off their poker skills. Magerman knew he'd see Jim Simons and Bob Mercer there, and he wanted a chance to smooth things over in person. But things got off to a rocky start. So David Magerman gets to the St. Regis Hotel, one of the nicest in New York City, and right away, he feels uncomfortable. He looks around the room and he sees he really hadn't dressed appropriately. Everybody else there is wearing a suit. There were tuxedos in the room. And David Magerman didn't realize he's supposed to dress up and he had dressed down like sort of uh, the mathematician and scientist he is. And David Magerman was just unsettled right from the get-go. Right away, he sees Mercer and Magerman compliments Mercer on his suit. Mercer said, oh, my, my daughter Rebecca picked it out for me. Magerman's thinking, you know, phew, I got past this. Maybe I can actually come back to the firm. It's not going to be so bad. Mercer doesn't seem like he, he's holding a grudge. He's starting to feel good. He has a drink, has a scotch. Magerman sees Jim Simons. He kind of says, you know, apologizes. He says, I'm sorry how things played out. I want you to know how much I respect you. And Simons accepted the apology. And David Magerman's feeling pretty good. He's in good spirits. As the evening progressed, Magerman saw one more person that he wanted to make amends with, someone he'd known for years, Rebecca Mercer, Bob Mercer's daughter. So he went up to her and started a conversation. And right away, there are fireworks. Rebecca Mercer, as she sees Magerman coming a little closer, she becomes agitated. She calls out, karma's a bitch. The idea being, you lost your job because of how you talked about my father publicly. And Rebecca Mercer goes off on, on David Magerman, how can he talk about my father this way? He was so good to you. And Magerman responds, well, yeah, your father and your family was good to me, but I didn't mean anything by talking out politically. And, and Rebecca Mercer doesn't want to hear from me. She, she says to him, you're pawn scum. You've been pawn scum for 25 years. I always knew it. And David Magerman was, was just shaken. Rebecca Mercer tells the security guards to get David Magerman out of there, throw him out. So they throw him out to the curb, and he was frustrated and angry and embarrassed. He had literally been embarrassed in front of the whole industry, as it were. And eventually he sobers up, drives home, and he's fired by Renaissance. He gets fired? Yeah. 
After this incident, David Magerman was out at Renaissance, this time for good. But people told Greg that inside the firm, people were still uneasy about Mercer's political activities. Protesters were starting to demonstrate outside the firm's headquarters, and Mercer's name was being used in Democratic attack ads. All of this was putting external pressure on the firm. And outside investors were even threatening to pull money out. So firing David Magerman didn't really do much internally to settle things. Slowly, other people were really getting uncomfortable with what Bob Mercer was doing and had done. And I imagine that sort of thing would affect recruitment and retention, potentially, of employees. So that's exactly right. Renaissance Technologies recruits scientists and others, and they don't really see themselves as competing with people like Goldman Sachs or big hedge funds like D.E. Shaw. They compete with Facebook, Google, and Silicon Valley. And a lot of those employees are left of center, or often can be, and they were worried they weren't going to be able to recruit the best talent. So morale was being affected. There was the future of the firm being potentially impacted. There were all kinds of concerns. By this point, the man who founded and built Renaissance, Jim Simons, had retired. He'd handed over the reins to Bob Mercer and another co-CEO. But Simons still owned the majority of the firm, meaning he had power to call the shots. And he started to realize the hedge fund he built was being torn apart from within. So he faced a difficult choice. For months, Simon's trying to ignore what's happening. But finally, he decides, I got to get involved. I got to step in. This is tearing my firm apart. On the one hand, he likes this guy, Bob Mercer, still. He always thought he did a good job. He doesn't agree with his politics, but you can't fire a guy for that. On the other hand, people are coming to him saying, Jim, you got to do something. And these people are internal people. Some of them really valued employees, some of the future stars within the firm, and they were getting unhappy and upset. So what does Simons decide to do? So he goes out to Long Island from his home in New York City, and he sits down with Bob Mercer, and he says, Bob, we got to talk. We have a problem here. And frankly, Mercer wasn't ready for this conversation. Mercer didn't think that Jim Simons would step in, but Simons did. And he said, you've got to step down as co-CEO of the company. And Mercer went along with it. He was shocked. He was unhappy, but he really had no choice in the matter. And he didn't leave the firm, and he still is a researcher there today. But I have to tell you, from talking to people internally, he no longer has the power he once wielded within the firm. He's not the presence he used to have. He's still there. He's still helping out. But Bob Mercer no longer is what he used to be. So what does Mercer do after he steps down? So Bob Mercer writes a letter to Renaissance's investors. He says he's going to stay on as a researcher, but he no longer is going to play the same kind of role publicly. He writes that the press has unfairly linked him to Steve Bannon, and he basically takes steps, things like uh, he sells a stake in Breitbart to his daughters. He's no longer going to be supporting some of uh, the people he previously had, like Milo Yiannopoulos. He publicly says in the letter, well, I believe in conservatism, but people have been unfairly criticizing me. Over the next year... Bob Mercer and Rebecca, his daughter, really pull back from politics and playing a public role. And people close to them, friends and others, say they're scarred by the whole experience. There's real irony here. They got 
their man elected, and they got to shift the country in a certain direction. But in the end, Bob Mercer was really never suited for the public life, and he feels much more comfortable behind the scenes. What about Magerman? How does he feel about everything that's happened since? So from what he said uh, publicly and to others, David Magerman is somewhat proud of taking a public stance against Bob Mercer. He no longer is associated with the firm, but he has cordial relationship with both um, Jim Simons and others at the firm, and he's moved on. He now is, uh, he does venture capital, and he's trying to get a little more involved in politics, pushing for more moderate members of uh, the Democratic establishment and Democratic candidates. How do you think Jim Simons reflects on all of this? I mean, his, the, the course of his whole legacy, he, he created this amazing firm, but it also gave a lot of money to somebody who a lot of people strongly disagreed with. So I've presented that question to Jim Simons. You, as a sort of left-leaning individual, have inadvertently helped insert Donald Trump into the White House. So Jim Simons doesn't feel in any way uncomfortable uh, at what he's done. The way he looks at it is he solved the market and he used his money to do what he believes are, are good things, autism research, math, education, other kinds of philanthropy. And Bob Mercer was free to use his money the way he'd like to use it. The stories in part one and part two of our series, Rise and Revolt at Renaissance, are based on Greg Zuckerman's new book about Jim Simons and Renaissance technologies called The Man Who Solved the Market. You can buy it wherever books are sold. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon.